And the power of Grayskull. <laughs> Good morning, every- man. <laughs> Welcome to, of course, the power of Jay Skull, a very special the power of Jay Skull, and of course, with me is Jason, president of the Gwildorf Gwildorf Fan Club. Yeah, hmm. cosmic enthusiast. <laughs> so today, of course, we're getting a chance to do the nineteen. We're looking at the nineteen eighty seven canon film release of Masters of the Universe. Yeah, this is a big deal. This it is, is. A, it's a huge deal. It disappointed so many people at once on so many levels. <laughs> well, as I kind of mentioned, this film was brought onto the universe by Canon oh. Films, a very well successful studio in the eighties. At this point by... in history, they were more yeah. infamous than they were famous, but you know. They'd had some hits with uh, Lee, you know, Lee Marvin being in some things with Chuck Nor- a lot of Chuck Norris stuff. They yes, did. it was the, the studio that Chuck actions. Norris built. Yeah, basically. And at this point, they started buying franchises. They bought yes. the rights to Superman. Yes, they, they bought did. This they were dealing with Marvel quite heavily too. We yes, I believe that at one point they they held the rights to Spider Man and the Fantastic Four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And what was really interesting about this project is how clever they were with their negotiating. Especially Golden Globus, who were the producers of this, were quite smart. At this point in time, we've got to say that the He-Man uh, toy sales were starting to slump quite yes. early. Yes, it was the, the end of the renaissance. Yes, the end of the renaissance. So Mattel obviously want to keep this money-making machine alive, so they're very keen to maybe get a film going helps promote the toys, you know, keeps their brand alive, everyone's happy. And obviously, over at Golden Globus and Canon, they're needing a hit because they're not getting them. They're not making money. So uh, very smart of Canon to turn around and go, well, Mattel, how's this? We'll go 50-50 in this film. We'll finance it 50-50. And Mattel went, beauty, and Canon go, but you got to put your 50% up first. Yeah. And Mattel went, Okay. And then essentially they get halfway through the production of this film. They run out of money. <laughs> and Canon turn back to Mattel go, well, you know, it's time for you to put up your money. It's time for you to pay for that. And they go, no. Forcing Mattel to then finance the second half of this film. Yes. Which was pretty crazy stuff. Um, wanted to put that code a bit because I think the environment they created for this film reflects a lot of it on screen. Yes, and it really does. And you can you can tell something is off, that there are magnificent sets in this movie. The, the Grayskull throne room, for example, was at the time the largest studio set that had ever been built. They actually knocked down a wall in the studio to build this thing. And, you know, the Skeletor costume looks great. Many of the monsters look great. And then they go to Earth and everything is done on the cheap. So it's almost like you're watching two different movies here. And it's it's just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. It is because it is. Uh, it's one of those things as I was watching it, as you're like bringing up the fact that these two different films, um, I do believe they knew very early on that they had to set it on Earth. So the script was written with that in mind. 
Though it yeah. feels like when you're watching it, it was like they were half refilming it and going, we're out of money. We need to fix this quickly. Uh, yeah, rewrite, rewrite. But no, this was planned. Um, it was a yeah, trope but, at the time that you put fantasy elements on Earth. And it was yes. not only, you know, a money-saving tactic, but it was also, you know, the fish-out-of-water story that was very popular at the time. I mean, Star it, it Trek, was... Star Trek came along a couple of, you know, a few months before this one, put Kirk and Scotty and Bones on Earth and made a ton of money. I mean, for there for a while, you know, Star Trek Four was one of the top 100 grossing movies of all time. So it was a formula that worked. And so, yeah, I completely buy that this was the plan from the very beginning. And it's not only it's like on Earth, but it's that it, it took elements from horror where you set it in one well, alien thing where you set it in middle America suburbia. Yes. So middle America where you've got your very much apple pie, the best of American kind of good values and put that kind of scenario in that environment. So yeah, it is very much a product of the time. It, however, I've got to say, there are some things in this that really work and there are some things that do not. And, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle, I think I just felt kind of nostalgic, but also yet kind of saddened by missed opportunity in this film. That's kind of the impression I got. I Watching this, it was nowhere near as bad as I thought I remembered it as. Mm. It's actually fairly entertaining in some places, and I'm just going to say it, marvelously casted. You know, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, perfect. Frank Langella mm. as Skeletor, perfect. Let's have a look. Yes. Sorry, I hadn't taken that photo because I'm sorry, perfect. that's the cheesiest grin he does. That's okay. Time. It works. This is Masters <laughs> of the Universe 87. And that sorry, man you. right there, that man yeah. right there Skeletal. was having so much fun. He actually said in an interview that he did this movie strictly because his kids were fans of He-Man. And whenever they heard that he was going to play Skeletor, they went nuts and he, he just had as much fun with it. And it's actually kind of funny because Frank Langella said that Masters of the Universe was one of the most fun movies he's ever made. And Dolph Lundgren, in the meantime, says it was the most miserable experience of his career. Yeah, so, Frank Langella you know, has come out and said yeah. it's, it's one of his best performances. I agree. He was so much fun. And he's right. He's right. Now, what's interesting enough is Frank Langella, like, you were talking about earlier about the look and feel, like the makeup and that. He had a lot to say in the look of Skeletor. And the cloak, apparently they had to come up with like 20, until we got a cloak that felt just right, you know, that, that it moved the right way. So he was very particular. And he was being a very great steward for the Masters of the Universe franchise, yes. ensuring that Skeletor was not only looked apart, but his performance is the backbone of this movie. Yes, he was the MVP, the most <laughs> villainous player. <laughs> And you know what? The director knew that. When they started filming, Gary Goddard, who directed this film, was very... He got to choose Frank Langella, so he was very happy with that casting. But he inherited Dolph Lundgren. And he was very concerned that Dolph... Could Dolph carry it through? Yes. Um, and was very alarmed when he started seeing dailies and seeing that Dolph's line delivery, very problematic. And that is, to me... Physically, Dolph Lundgren is perfectionist as he looks the part, his action, everything is great. But this is a guy who made one film prior, and that was Rocky Four. Yes, I will believe. His line deliveries were awful. In fact, he had it in his contract 
that he could at least do his ADR two or three times before they replaced him. Yeah. Thankfully, he worked on it, and that got him over the line. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But the car, I mean, it's not just Frank Langella that's a superstar in this film. And as far as I'm concerned with the villains, Jason, who do you think I'm talking about? As far as villains go? Yes. Oh, that could only be uh, Meg Foster as Evil Lynn. <sighs> Oh my gosh, she she is so beautiful. I'm sorry. Yeah. She she Gorgeous. is one of the most underappreciated actresses of the 80s. Just those icy blue eyes. Nah. All she had to do was stand there and stare. And mm. she had such a presence. And yeah. just the, the amount of, of research she did into this role was absolutely insane. She based Eva Lynn, I believe, on... Uh, a character from Hamlet and you're asking me now I've gone blank. I can't remember who, Wow, okay, but, it, but she had this entire backstory on evil Lynn that she was, she was in love with Skeletor, but her love was unrequited. And so, you know, she, she stuck around because she was still fascinated by this man and mm. his power. And yet at the same time, she also loathed him and, and wanted to destroy him. And if you watch that, knowing what she did in preparation to play evil Lynn, all of it comes out in this, this, uh, especially character. in this scene, Jason. This scene here, yes, where he's stroking her face on the throne. Remember? Yes. I'm uh, sorry. Which every I time, really alluded to that heavily. That there every was a relationship time there. I see a picture of her, my heart flutters because that's this. The first thing I think of is she is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Yeah, and yeah. I will fight and you I, if you disagree. I'm not going to. I, I, I loved her all throughout yes. the 80s. And a lot of films. Are there. I mean, like they, they live. I think I mentioned she was in children. I really, I wish she would have had a bigger career. I know she had a very impressive career, and she's still acting today. She still looks lovely. I think she's in yeah. her 70s now, but my gosh, she should have been an absolute superstar up there with Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock. It's not a talent issue because no, when you talk about talent. line delivery, she sells everything she says. Yes, she does. And, uh, yeah, so she's absolutely wonderful. Now, I've come out earlier in a chat before watching this saying that the villains are probably, they are the center point of this movie. And believe yes. it or not, after doing some research, that was done in intention. They actually started rewriting the script to make sure that this movie was told more through Skeletor's point of view rather than He-Man because they were concerned about whether He-Man could pull it off. Skeletor has was always the been idea. the most interesting character. Mm, exactly. Always. Exactly. But let's have a look at. It. We were talking. We might as well keep going through the cast. Let's talk about the good guys. Okay. So I mean, I will just bring up the trilogy of of good guys here. I like who they cast as Man Arms. Kind of dug him. I thought he did really well. I thought he was serviceable. He was he was perfectly adequate. Um, now, granted, yeah. he did not have a lot to work with. No. And I'm not but I'm not knocking the actor in the least bit. But I thought I thought perfectly adequate character. Keeler, however, mm. really could have gone with someone who probably was a more natural performer. I thought she was very stilted. She yes. gets to say one line within the movie where she does a whole woman at arms, kind of a wink to the to the camera and all that. And it's such a poor delivery. And this is yes. where the film starts to suffer is the lack of you know, you've surrounded with people like Meg Foster and Frank Langella, but then there's a massive drop-off in the way of talent. Yes. And I think that really starts to affect things. I mean, look at the good... The, I mean, the real well, with, star with of the movie... With one exception we'll talk about later. Yes, we'll talk right about now, 
but yes, we will talk about yeah. that. Oh, there he's he is. The man who's really is the backbone of the good guys and yes. performance-wise is holding up that whole kind of group. Yes. And I because... know that I know that people who watch this movie hate on Gwildor. But ladies and gentlemen, the man underneath that makeup is one Billy Barty, who is an mm. absolute legend. Not only a famous character actor who, if you were around in the 80s and 90s, you literally saw his face everywhere, always playing a curmudgeon-y, grumpy little person, but doing it with every ounce in his body and committing to every role. And not only that, he went on to found the Little People's Association of America, who not only... Uh, fight to make sure that little people are elevated and that they are not uh, exploited by the Hollywood system as they had been for many, many years and unfortunately mm. are today, but also to get out information to regular people about dwarfism and, yeah. you know, uh, just information that they can't get anywhere else. So we respect uh, wow. Billy Barty in this house. You know, oh, yeah, without bless question. you, Billy Barty. You left yes. this earth 23 years ago, and we all miss you. And yeah. Gildor was great. Now, he should and have been, he should have been Orko. He's playing Orko, but he though. was great. He is he's Orko. Playing he's playing Orko. There is no question. No. He's taken, he's watched the animated series, and he has layered a, a fantastic performance that's built on the backbone of Orko from that cartoon. Yes. And and I know, and they they told us in the making of that I was. They said the reason they didn't go with Orko is because they found it too challenging from a special effects point of view. Which I'm going, I don't get it. What do you just have them when Susie gets to Earth? Just, the gravity is different and it can't float. Or so just, it's, solve it's that a, problem. Yeah, it's a movie. It's, it's a bit it's, of wire work. Just put him. Just put him in a red but, cloak with an O on it and a red hat, and you know you and can't a see scarf his face. Over and his face. Yeah, and we would have accepted it. It's fine. Right. It's the '80s. We didn't have that technology. Don't put Billy Barty on a string. We don't want to hurt him. It's fine. Just have Orko walk. <laughs> it would have been fine. Instead, we put him through probably five hours of makeup every day to to wear what is <laughs> this giant mask and. Yes. And again, we, we, we will show a lot of love to Billy Barty because he is able to emote a really yes. great performance out of that. And yes, and he, he can barely move his mouth, but his entire performance yeah. is carried with his eyes. Yeah, and it, Wildor has, in my opinion, the only laugh-out-loud line in the entire movie because there's so much cringe humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is one great moment where mm -hmm. Wildor comes out and he's wearing ladies' sunglasses and like a boa and everything like that. And he says, look, native clothing. If we wear this, no one will recognize us. And Tom Paris, I don't know his real name, but Tom, I don't know the character's name. Tom Paris, just first time seeing him, points at it and says, what the hell is that? And Quildor just goes, see? See? <laughs> it's it's, it's a trash a movie, but it is such a yeah. diamond line. I just love it so much. Yeah, yeah. Interesting uh, point here is we obviously, we also, besides the bad guys, we've got our teenagers. This is oh, yeah. Courtney Cox's first yes. movie. Do you think the she puts thing... this on her resume? You got it, don't you? She's actually oh, very serviceable to... in this. And she was, she was, I mean, she she did what she did with what she was given and yeah. elevated it to the point that she was not annoying. She, you actually felt sympathy for her and what she was going through and her trauma. Except and... that really dumb decision to go out to the hall, uh, out to the alleyway. Like, yeah, just it was so dumb. dumb. 
it was dumb. <laughs> but this movie, this movie has got lots of dumb in it. Yeah, a lot of dumb plot points. Um, if this movie did not have dumb plot points, it would have been over in two minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, I uh, yeah, I thought she was quite good. Uh, again, we're talking about Tom Paris, Robert McNeil. Yeah, Duncan Robert McNeil. RDM, there he is. And he's and really was able to save his performance in this film because in the first 10 minutes of seeing him, I found him quite irritating. Yes. Quite irritating. Yeah. But they were able to give him enough to do, make him, you know, important to the plot to some sense, that he was able not to be just that really annoying character in the whole thing. So he kind of worked. But also the sorceress. Now, there's the sorceress there. Do you know who yeah. she is? Do you know who she ends up playing at one point? I, I don't know. Who is that? Well, if we have Courtney Cox from Friends, her mother. That's Courtney Cox's mother? In Friends. Oh, in Friends. Okay. Well, End up playing her mother in Friends for kind of years. So that was kind of nice. And I have to say, uh, it, it was an interesting... It was an interesting direction they went with the sorceress. You know, she's always kind of been the damsel in distress character. Like, oh, no, they're coming to they're coming to kill everybody in Grayskull. What should I do? Yeah. But um, here, you know, they kind of made her a little older, a little more stately. You know, yeah. she's, she stands up for herself, even though she's held prisoner during the entire movie. And movie her, costu entire her costume movie. was fabulous. Yeah, she was. And, and, and she was aging throughout it, though, wasn't yes, she? she was. Before, yes, she was. Before they... Uh, before the, um, you know, everything goes back to the way it should be. Yeah, she's starting to look really old. But, yeah, no, really good. Look, at the end of the day, if the villains were strong, they were strong, and then that comes to a point where they hit a brick wall. And I've got to talk about the, well, the crew, the gang, the, su yeah. the supporting villains. Yeah. First one, which I don't mind I'm going to show, is Beastman. Beastman looks, looks like him. Yeah, Beastman. It was acceptable. I liked that he was a groveler. You know, he yeah. was really tough, but whenever he feared for his life, he was kissing Skeletor's feet quite literally. Yeah. Would and, have liked um, to have heard him speak, though. That was yeah, a I don't know. Making him a silent villain, to me, actually kind of worked. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, he's, he's not the Beast Man from the cartoon. This is a completely different universe. I don't really want to compare it to the cartoon. There are, there are certain no, characters no, no. I wish they would have used instead. And I'm yeah. sure as we go through the rest of the gang, I'll tell you who I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's the only one that really in the gang that I yeah. feel. Oh, except for I've got a picture of him, or did I tell me I've got a picture of him? It's the uh, lizard creature, the one that oh, dies yes. very quickly. Oh yes. Oh, here we go. Uh, I've Kenny. Got, I've got a, His name is Kenny. Looks fantastic. I he thought does. He looked the best, like they put the most amount of money into his costume than anyone else's. So I didn't mind him, and I thought they dispatched of him too early. Yeah, I That's was kind of thinking that should have been uh, that should have been Cobra Khan. Yeah, yeah. I think I yeah. think, and they could have just easily just called him Cobra Khan, and we would have accepted it. We would have bought into it. Yeah, it's like yeah, that's that's Cobra Khan. Okay. Oh yes, and there's there's not Trapjaw. That's not Trapdoor Blade, yeah. who every time he swung his sword in the movie was going, yes. 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 Especially yes. when he's cutting that fence. Like, yes. unnecessarily you, three times in a row. You cannot <laughs> tell me that the first draft of this movie, he was not Trapjaw. I mean, he's I, even got the chin strap and everything. He's got, are, the, he's got the attachments. Loose. He was Trapjaw. They should have just kept him Trapjaw. 
And the thing is, you would say, how did Mattel let this happen? Well, Mattel had final say and approval. They wanted they to sell more guy. action figures. It's the, it's the Transformers principle. Let's you get rid of all the originals. You bring in new characters. Look, look, boys and girls, new new action figures. Do you want a Blade action figure? He has yes action. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that maybe. I would have wanted a Blade, but I can't tell you any kid that would have wanted this character. Oh, I was kind of thinking that was supposed to be Merman. I don't know, but just such a, just as a character, a sniveling, insecure villain that really didn't show any strength, was bound by the minions that were, you know, the robot, you know, Star Wars ripoff stormtroopers. (laughs) There was a lot of Star Wars in. in, There's uh, a lot of Star Wars, and we'll talk about especially in the the music too by Bill Ponty. Yeah, we'll talk about it here. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about it here in a minute. But yeah, I, I completely agree. He was just such a bland character, bland and, makeup to me. He, yeah, like the, the wig was so overwhelming from a visual perspective that it just, it, it sold campiness where it didn't need to be sold. He reminded like he made me. made it looks, yeah. He reminded me of that waitress Joe from Alice back in the 80s. <laughs> like, I swear that's the same wig. Because you know they were recycling props all the time. Speaking of recycling props, here's a bit of trivia for you. The mold for Skeletor's mask was reused in a very famous television show. Oh, do tell. Yes. Um, the The Skeletor mask was reused in Star Trek The Next Generation as the, as Worf's workout program where he fights the monsters it was the yellow skinned monster and if you look at it yeah that is skeletor's face on that monster yeah and in fact in next generation they had the skin tone close to what skeletor actually looked like they kind of uh, did anime, didn't they didn't they they kind of got it better done it right because yeah. he's not white he's, he's yellowish yes he's always yeah, been yeah. yellowish so you've got you've got something like you know the villains seem to be they, look they've got enough players and enough people to kind of make something interesting and when it starts off in Eternia my biggest problem with it is the design of Eternia it looks post-apocalyptic it's it's a desert because they couldn't afford cities that's all it is they could have done a map painting of some trees or something guys like I know we're not doing yeah yeah, I think, mean, yeah, I like the idea of having, you know, Snake Mountain should be desolate and horrible and things like that. And Grayskull can have that landscape a little bit as well. But when you're getting around to the Kingdom of Eternia and all that, you might have made it. Yeah. Well, but budgetary reasons weren't going to allow that, I suppose. Well, I spent the entire first part of this movie wondering why the heck are they fighting over this joint? Yeah. what What is it about this place that they are fighting for? Yeah, I mean, what's even, the appeal? Even Castle Grayskull. This is the worst, most ugly, most gaudy interpretation of it. It is 100% 80s cheese dialed up to not only an 11, it's up to around 57. I mean, it is just just terrible. Yeah, the design, that's where you're getting some like... You know, I don't even think it was structurally sound. If you look at it, there's almost like towers that are kind of off by themselves, just floating in midair. And I'm just like, I'm pretty sure. I know it's a fantasy world, but how does that work? I have no idea. But you're right; it was not a great looking castle. Now the inside of the castle looked great. Yeah, I will say that. Yeah, that throne room, as you as you kind of rightly said, it was one of the largest things built. 
Uh, there was supposed to be a lot more to be done in that space that they yeah. just didn't get to do. You know how this film wrapped shooting? By literally the producers coming in with a card and putting it in front of the lens and going, you're finished. He was <laughs> he, The director never stopped filming until the, literally the producers put themselves in front of the lens. That's funny. So, which I think is hilarious. So, Well, I know um, that the reason why the uh, the – the fight between Skeletor and He-Man at the end is done in silhouette is because most of the set was missing by that point. Yeah. And what you, <laughs> yes, and that's right. And they had to do, they, he was smart enough, the director one night to go, Hey, look, let me just do this as a safety measure because he felt that they were going to stop him from filming it. Which they did. So yes, they did. again, Gary Goddard, well done for at least getting that through. So yeah, yeah. they definitely had some challenges there. But the special effects, now remember, this is pre-CGI, right? Yes. There's nothing going on at this period. It's all matte painting, optical effects, miniatures, all practical, the whole thing. All wonderful. All practical. Some of these, um, some of the models that they did, some of the shots are, were all built on, were massive, were massive, and highly detailed. And as much as how ugly that cast Grayskull was, they built that a miniature. It was quite impressive. Um. Some of the other things I thought they did really well, you know, when they come to to Earth and, and Skeletor's got his, what would you call it, a sail barge, a skiff? I, I, don't, thinking. Know. I don't know. His bones I don't know wrong. what it is. But it looked great. I yes, liked it. Did. it. It was intimidating. You know, It's like it's, he's in a giant flower. Yeah, you know it's sitting on a trailer and they're just dragging it with oh, a absolutely. or something. If they could but afford a truck, works. there may just be a bunch of key grips pulling it with ropes. Yeah. And this is the thing about the movie that I kind of get confused about. I think they did the best possible job to make this functionally work with what they had. They had to come up with an idea of having these guys go to Earth, make it make sense, make it push the story forward. And I think they did a half-decent job. Yeah. I don't know if I was writing this, how I would get around it. Do I agree they should have had a giant battle in the hardware? Sorry, no. Music store, maybe not, but it plays off later because it's all about the tones, isn't it? Yes. And you know, without so, this movie, we would have never gotten the best He-Man comic of all time. The Masters of the Universe is, where the cosmic key actually is like the, the MacGuffin that they have to use to fight anti-Eternia He-Man. And right. yes, the Dolph, the Dolph Lundgren He-Man actually appears in this comic book. Wow. The, the wow. human of many universes appear in this comic book. It's actually quite good. Oh, excellent. I didn't even know about that. That's a great recommend. There, there um, is a, there is a uh, Skeletor He-Man. Prince okay. Kel where Prince Keldor remains with his family and eventually yeah. becomes, you know, the, the keeper of Grayskull. But all of the yeah, masters, the champion, champion. like yeah. Tula and all the others, are the Dark Masters. Oh, so it's like they both switch sides. Yeah. And then there's a cartoon He-Man, which is hilarious. All right, let's let's kind of cut to the. Uh, uh, oh, oh, what about some? Um, no, well, before we do, what about uh, what's his name? What's his name in Back to the Future? Oh, Principal Skinner. Sk Principal Skinner. Principal Skinner. We have Principal. You're such Skinner. a slacker, Tom Paris. And that's Mister. He had the shotgun like he did in Back to the Future too, but he just yes. didn't get to scream slacker in this movie. <laughs> but I like him because he's a ridiculous character. He Like was. in many ways. He plays the one-note cop. The fact that he allows Robert Duncan McNeil on several times to put him in his place shocks me. 
you know, um, just absolutely, you know, he's the butt of the joke in many ways, but he was, I never saw him in anything else besides this in the Back to the Future movies. I don't I remember saw him seeing in a couple actor. little bit television parts. He was so great. All he the was, time, he was such a great character actor. And I just got to say, since you threw that picture up just a second ago, how hilarious the, the one with him and, and Tom Paris in the microwave. Yeah, I thought it was so funny that that Evil Lynn Scanner was jammed by a microwave. <laughs> it was it was simultaneous. It was such a nothing scene, but the fact that that happened, and they're just like, yes, they've got some kind of advanced jamming mechanism that's keeping us from scanning, and it's just a yeah. microwave. I just, yeah, I thought that that was just peak comedy. That was yeah. the other laugh out loud. But see, that's the problem with the film is it's got a tonal issue. It does. It, it doesn't know what it wants to be. And and I think that's why a lot of the jokes, even though they are cringy, they don't work just because of the tone of them, because everything else has been set up. We've got this ultra hyper realistic drama going on in, you know, with Skeletor and his Shakespearean approach and that. And then cutting to those jokes I doesn't don't think it works. Uh, did you notice, of, did you notice Skeletor's line about let this be our final battle? And they yeah. read that in Revelations twice. Yes. Skeletor yes, really loves that line. Did. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the scene where they, they're eating? They're around the thing and they're eating some meat. Oh, yes. Like kind of cringy joke. What is this food on sticks? And yes. and, the, and I like the fact that it actually actually added some layer of depth to those characters that from attorney, that, that clearly don't need animals. Well, no, all the animals talk. Yeah, of course. I mean, come on. It's like, would yeah, you want to eat a beer that's like, no, I would not. You're if right. you're going to eat me, at least turn me into sausage so my family won't recognize me. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I didn't mind that scene too much. No, I thought it. I thought it was fine. Yeah, and yeah. it wasn't but too like, preachy. It was because you know, man at arms was just eating it happily, going, "Yeah, you know, you got to eat yeah. stuff." Yeah, but it was. I, I couldn't get over the whole time I'm watching this. Gun. Mattel were willing partners and allowing this version to get on screen rather than just to keep it simple. They allowed this to become what it did out of just pure not knowing how to handle their property, but it was a greed move. It was this greed. Is purely about making money. As I said, it's the Transformers principle. Look at this, new action figures. Oh, we get we get new action figures, right, including even the end with this dude. Yes, which we I gotta say, upgrade of a helmet. Heck, like I was like, dude, like props for just keeping your balance with your No head. kidding, that thing had to be made out of styrofoam, though. It had yeah. to have been. It had to have been. Just... Either that yeah, or they found it in Spirit upgrade. Halloween or something. I don't know. Yeah, and as we showed the picture of before, their fight um, really was just, you know. They were very fortunate they kind of put it together. And you can tell it's not really choreographed. It's no. Very much it's not, do it's this, not do this, lit. do that. It is, it is very fortunate that Castle Grayskull provides mood lighting for fights. Yeah, like yeah. A nice they're, key light that changes color inexplicably. They're um, either going to kill each other or they're going to kiss, either one. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's where the film kind of, it's kind of fairly really strong beginning. The middle act's working, functional for the fact that they're on Earth and they're kind of going to keep it going. But it's this third act, isn't it? It's yes. really awful. Even this scene here, which I thought was quite dramatic, where they've got him, they're going to, he's getting whipped, he's getting tortured. He essentially gets out of it by getting a laser blast to the other one. 
to, to one of those chains, which breaks it. But then the other one, he just manually pulls it out of the ground. Yeah, it's like he could have he could have gotten out of there anytime he wanted to. Anytime I thought it was great. That, I thought it was great that Dolph Lundgren flinched before the whip hit him. Yes, like, like a good half second before, which you know, yeah. I'm I'm not knocking on the guy. It's Mate, that's you, not you know, his fault. That's special it's it's got to be hard. It's just one of those silly, corny things that you notice, yeah. and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. But see, you know what? The special effects guys probably grew up watching those films where they do, and that what used to happen in the 40s. So they're like, Absolutely. oh, man, just like it was, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, um, it's fine. He-Man was basically being held hostage because he thought his friends were in danger. Yeah, yeah he wouldn't have escaped on his own. Uh, Whenever he saw they were fine, it's like, oh, boom, Skeletor, I'm going to kill you. It's time now, for a low-level light sword fight. That's Although I'm kind of surprised, and the sword fighting is pull. really bad in this film. I'm surprised Skeletor didn't pull out a lightsaber, to be honest. No, and yes, and actually, remember, look at the back there. We basically liked a whole heap of soldiers who have just all wearing Vader helmets, basically. Yes. Well, and, you know and the similarity with Star Wars is quite oh, significant yeah. in this film. Well, you know, they they had to use robots because one of Mattel's demands for this movie is that He Man not kill anyone. And so it's like, how do you get around not killing anybody? Well, it's the G.I. Joe principle. You just make all of the Skeletor's army robots, just like Cobra Commander's armies were all robots. Yeah, Roger, Roger. Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the similarities of the film. Structurally, it, does, it doesn't really follow Star Wars, but it does follow that adventure kind of mode. But it's mm -hmm. the music that struck me as being not the thing, which I... Do not like the theme at all. No, it's, it's too, very cheesy. It's too sci-fi-ish, too too cheesy. It's yeah, it's Battle Beyond yeah. the Stars type of movie. Oh yeah, you know? Battle. Oh my gosh, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that one day. So much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. But it's John that kind Boy, of level of music. It's when Bill Conti is actually scoring the film itself without using the, the main thing that it is literally. He is just ripping John Williams off. Mm -hmm. He's trying to create, that. yeah, quite a lot. And, and it works to a certain level, but you've got to have the imagery to back that up. If you're going to do that kind of score, great, but you just didn't have it on screen to kind of no. back it up. And the strong visuals you did have, you didn't utilize them enough. So it was, it was a film that I can't say... It's weird. I didn't have a horrible time watching it though, Jason. I didn't. No, I didn't have a horrible time uh, either. I, I thought I was going to, but it was yeah, it was it was enjoyable. It was mm. flawed, tragically mm. flawed, but at the same time, I, I don't hate that I rewatched it and I don't hate this movie. No, I'm glad it exists. I'm glad yeah. it exists because really, it's one of those strange it artifacts. It's a very it strange is. footnote. You know, and most yeah. people don't even know it does exist, and that's the funny part. Yeah. Let me ask well, you a question. Yeah. How would you have fixed this? Assuming you had the budget, what would you have done to fix this movie? Straight away, you would not have it set on Earth, right? But mm -hmm. I don't mind the idea of being set on another planet because we've seen that quite a lot in here. So if I had to keep the bare bones basics of this script, I'd absolutely have them, when they are transported, go to a different... Like, planet doesn't normally... Need to be Eternia. Uh, certainly would have fixed it by showing Eternia being a vibrant society and something that you would want. 
uh, because really the motivations of Skeletor are, I just want it all, you know, I'm just greedy. It's not going to be ours, it's going to be mine. And I just don't think as much as he did well, the, the script and service he set up very well, um, I would have Adam. Sorry, I would have, would have brought Adam into it. <laughs> See, I would have, well, first of all, um, I think the biggest thing that killed this movie and I'm I'm just gonna go off of this off of the Mattel caveat. They wanted to sell new action figures. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And they wanted to do the Transformers route. I would have gone the full Transformers route. I would have started out with, you know, He-Man, Tila, Man at Arms, Ram Man, Stratos. I would have had all of them in it and then yeah, start killing them off. And which would have been a completely heartless thing to do. But think about this. Whenever my best friend went to go see this movie in theaters, I didn't see it in theaters, but he did. I asked him how it was, and he goes, "It sucked. Not all, the characters were hardly even in it. You know, there was no, there was no Orko, there was no this, there was no that. Who was in it? Well, Beast Man was in it, but then he gets his butt kicked. Yeah. You know, think yeah. about this: have all these characters, have Trap Jaw, have Merman, have all these people, and then dispose of them somehow. Bring in yeah, even can transport them to the other planet or something. They can come back later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, you're right because that's how you do it. That's how, and that way, there you keep a couple of the key characters who then meet the new characters, exactly. Come the good guys and, and everything else. Yeah, you're 100% right. <laughs> the problem is, is the fact that they really didn't take the importance of Eternia and the legacy of those characters for the audience, they didn't take that into concern enough. I mean, like I said to you once, my favorite character that I owned was Stratos, yes. Because I just love the figure. Sean Connery yes. with wings. Absolutely. But he was my favorite figure. I just liked the look and design of him. I liked the colors. And the fact that I didn't get to get serviced by having that was a really missed opportunity there. It was like, to me, this has similarities with the new adventures of He-Man. I felt like Mattel were trying to run away from what they'd established. Well, I, I think the problem is that... At the time, I think certainly that has changed, but at the time, Mattel just saw He-Man as money. It it is yeah. it's doesn't have a legacy. It doesn't, you know, the fans aren't that important. We're just doing this to make money. How can we make more money? Yeah. And so I don't really think that they respect Canon obviously didn't respect it because you know they were hacks and kind of kind of thieves as well. Uh, and one other so thing I'm that's judging. missing from this movie is I think the thing that always made He-Man interesting and that was prince adam there was Shoot. no prince adam in this movie that was always what i look forward to every day was him holding up the sword and transforming and yeah he says i have the power at one point but it's for no reason and not even and a great delivery yeah, over so, the line not really so what i would have done instead of having a cosmic key have orko there trying to get the sorceress out of the bubble and accidentally transporting he-man's sword to earth if if we got to go to earth that's what they got to go and get. And so right. He-Man is a normal, He-Man is Prince Adam. You send Tila, you send Orko, and you send uh, Man-at-Arms. And now they got to go get um, get the sword. Yeah. And to me, that makes more sense. That's more of a thing. And of course, Skeletor wants the sword too. So he's yeah. going to send his minions after it as well. You know, yeah. Robert Duncan McNeil picks it up. And it's like, oh, he look at this thing. Adam. He should be Adam. Yeah. I would you know, accept him as young Adam. Why not sure. have Adam meet uh what is her name? The friends girl. I've gone blank. Courtney Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox. Why not have Adam meet Courtney Cox and kind of fall in love with her? And then it's That's like, it. you know, you don't you don't have to be He-Man. You can be happy. 
Yeah. You know, and that, you're building and upon it, the romance then. And then you've either got the scene where you have the ET scene at the end where they've got to separate and it's emotional, or you have the scene where she goes with him and now she's a princess. Instead, we've got, yeah, we've got Lubick who decides to stay on Eternia. Yes, and apparently he's living in Grayskull now? What the heck? Yeah, yeah, and he's got a missus already. <laughs> oh, that was to me the strangest part of the movie. It's like, yeah, there's beautiful women here. I'm like, where did she come from? Where has she been hiding? How long have we been here? Have you been here a week? Did you meet somebody in a week? Or did she did she just come out of the supply closet going, oh my gosh, is Skeletor gone? Who's that sexy bald man? Yeah, and wasn't it wasn't it very much a TV ending? It really was. Well, it really was. Like they tied that up so yes. poorly in the fact that you've literally got one set, all the characters basically, all the good characters in one set. Tie it all up, boom, you're out of there. Yep. Um, and of course, uh, one of the very first after credit scenes oh, teeing up the sequel yes. that never happened. Yes, yes. But you want to know you... something interesting, though. What's the that? sequel did happen. The sequel did happen. They were going to call it Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg. And it was, they had written the script, they were ready to go. Wow, and then this, this movie was made. a flop, but and and they were like, "Well, you know, we can't make a Masters of the Universe sequel, but we still have this script. What should we do with it?" So look for a movie. I think it was around 1988 or 1989 called Cyborg. That You're is the script me. for Masters of the Universe two. They just rewrote it and just made it an independent movie on its own. Wow, that blowed my mind. So the yeah, Jean Claude so. Van Damme Cyborg, which I loved as a kid. I, I have to admit, I don't think I've ever actually seen it, but I you kind of want to see it. Oh, my, my, that's blowing me away. I never yep. knew that. That's fantastic. I love that. Well, Jace, I think that's basically it. I think we've covered this film. I can't think of anything else we want to talk about. I'm glad this film exists. I'll put it I this am way. too. Not my favorite thing in the world, but I'm glad it exists. Um, and I think because this film exists, when we do get a live action He-Man, show movie i think this is just something that they'll refer to as a warning shot about what not making to do. sure to keep it to basics do you think frank langella do you think frank langella is too old to play skeletor now oh i mean i think probably he could do it. but how amazing would that have been if he returned you know? oh i would i would poo my pants in yeah happy. even dolph lundgren says that he would return in a Masters of the Universe movie, if they gave him a part, and he mentioned maybe oh, maybe Ray King Grayskull, all right, I think would actually be really good because he really was good. he was very regal in Aquaman. I actually didn't even recognize him in Aquaman at first, and I was like, wait a yeah. second, that's He Man. That works. I, I'd be down for that for sure. Yes, but let's uh, yeah, let's hope that this is a film that it's not the only time we get a He Man film. So I'm but sure it is that. coming. But in saying that, Jason, this wraps up season one of this show. Yes. We're going to go oh, on a Jason. we're going to go on a, a a hiatus for a couple of months because you're a punk and you're not going to be around. I'm very very busy. Yes, I'm going to be uh, very much on the road for a little bit. Yes, but which it's it's wonderful it. because it's success on your part, and I could not be happier for you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been amazing. And one of the things I'm going to miss the most is actually doing the show. Yeah, this is as I've said throughout the series. This has been an incredible. A wonderful journey for me because I've just got to rediscover something that I 
that's important to me as a kid and now I'm falling back in love with it, which is wonderful. And to know that we've only scratched the surface and when we do come back, there's going to be so much more to dig in. That's going to be wonderful. What that is is and what that form, we'll make announcements as we get closer to season two. But uh, yes, I'm really I have, excited. I have some go. things in mind. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really cool. So certainly uh, next season two is like, is that chance to go back to some of those series that, you know, that I fell in love with, you know? There, Absolutely. There's a whole show called Shira and the Princess of Power. <laughs> <laughs> that I am just, I'm looking at my watch list on Netflix going, I've got to finish this off. Yes, up. it is completely worth it. So we will yeah. revisit that. We'll revisit He-Man 2002. We'll revisit the original She-Ra, the original Masters of the Universe. Heck, I may even be charitable and give the new adventures of He-Man a try, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, thanks for watching, guys, for this first season. We'll see you guys in a couple of months. And, you know... To sign us off that final time for the first season, Jason, please go ahead. And the power of J-Skull!